Amen. Take a look at uh, Ecclesiastes. That's uh, where we're going to launch our text from uh, today out of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. So take a look on your iPad, your iPhone, or your Bible. Or you might want to look at the Bible. It says Holy Bible in the pew there in front of you as we start this first message, Finding Satisfaction. Finding Satisfaction. We know that everybody likes to be satisfied. We like to be satisfied if we have a great dinner and go to a restaurant. We want to be satisfied with the service. We want to be satisfied uh, with the food. Uh, If we uh, have a job, and I hope most of you do, you like to be satisfied with your job. Uh, There is no perfect job, but but it'll get better if you just don't take it for granted and say, I'm blessed to have a job. Um, You're satisfied with your income. Say, well, I'm not satisfied. It always works better. If you say, I'm thankful for what I do make, uh, you might say, are you satisfied with your house? Are you satisfied with your car? Are you satisfied with your husband, if you have one? Satisfied with your wife, if you have one? If you don't have one, are you satisfied without one? Hello? (laughs) Or what about the overall circumstances of your life? You know, how happy are you? How satisfied are you? Now, I have two pair of glasses this morning as I get ready to preach. One is, is the short version that shortens the message. And the other one, the other one is longer. I think those are longer. How many, I think, how many vote the short one? Then I'm going to do the long one. (laughs) I'm going to deliver what's on my heart. It's been burning here. So I want to share it with you. Uh, Are you in denial? Are you demanding too much in your life that you never reach a pinnacle to where you say, I'm satisfied or I'm happy? Can anything really come into your life that brings you some form of contentment to say, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. You know, you're supposed to never be content. You ought to go for more, more, more. Well, Solomon is going to differ with you. He's going to say, I had more, more, more. And here's what he said after having everything under the sun in Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, verse number, verse number two. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. And then he says this, everything is meaningless. In other words, he tried everything under the sun, and it was meaningless because there's a void in his life that only God could fill, and he tried filling it with everything else. You might say, well, that's Solomon. This is, uh, you know, this year, 2018, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have the same carnal nature that resides in us that resided in Solomon. How much is enough? How much is enough? How much do we have that we say, I'm satisfied? Now, let me suggest to you that the best way to have more and not let that more control you is to be a conduit of God's love and God's favor in and through your life, that you give yourself away. And Solomon talks about it. He said, I'm going to give you my own journey here. He said, here's what I know. Generations come and generations go. So if you get to feeling really, really good, he said, go to Grand Canyon, take a look. 
See all that's there. It's a masterpiece. Go to the uh, Hoover Dam. Take a look at that. It's unbelievable. Look up at the starlit sky. Uh, take a look at that. Notice the lightning. Notice the, hear the thunder. Take a look at the beautiful sunset over on the beach, etc. All of those things. He said, no matter of fact, next time you mow your lawn, next time you mow your lawn, understand that your lawn, that grass is going to last longer than you will. The stars are still going to be there. The sun is still going to set and the mountains are still going to rise. It's still going to rain with or without you. Your life is a vapor. It will be over. And notice this, everything that you see and that you can touch is going to remain. It's going to be there. And he said, know this, every time you walk on your lawn, it still wins. Because when you die and they bury you, you're going to be underneath your own lawn. Well, what do I work for? Why should I spend my whole life trying to gain, gain, gain? Why should I work myself to death? Just what Solomon is saying. Why do I work my fingers to the bone? Why do I, why do I continue this avenue? How much is it that I need? Because carnal nature will never let you be satisfied until you decide, here are the boundaries with which I intend to function. So he said in Ecclesiastes 1.17, he said, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, and I learned at the end of the day that this too is like chasing wind. Serious what he said. I decided to say, I need more education. Nothing wrong with education. You ought to get all you can get while you can get it. But he said, I tried academia. I tried education. I thought I'll write one more paper. I need to write one more book. I need to go to one more class. I need to take one more skill set. And what he was doing is this. He was avoiding the real answer of what he needed in his life and thought that he could outsmart the world and God by just gaining education and education. And at the end of the day, here's what he said. He said, with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, I had more grief. So he said, I found out that that did not work. And then in chapter 2, we find in Ecclesiastes, he said, all right, there's some other things that I want to do. He said, and it is this, I tried cheering myself up with wine. I thought, and in today's culture, that's drugs. Today's culture, that's, that's antidepressants, bundles of it. That is drink, that is wine. How much wine do you think it takes to soothe and solve a broken heart. How much wine does a person have to drink to all of a sudden be a cheery person day in and day out? There's not enough wine, not enough alcohol, not enough drugs to fill the void. But old Solomon said, I loaded up on it legally and illegally. I started at breakfast, lunch, and dinner and tried to drink myself and the wine. I smelled it. I tasted it. I had all that I wanted and that did not work either. The only thing that I had was a drunken stupor at the end of the day. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying to those of us in this culture, learn from my activity. Learn from the fact that I tried th uh, things other than making my mind up to allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Allow him to be the God of my life. Allow him to be the will of my life. So he thought, wow, that wine, that didn't work. So he said, here's what I'll do. I'll try hedonism. 
he said, I'll try material possessions. So in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 4, he said, I took on great projects. I built houses, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kind of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water to grow the trees. And he said, I had slaves. I had individuals in my house. I owned more herds than anybody else so that if you drove by my estate, you can say, there's a wealthy man. Look at all the cattle. Look at all the people he has working for him. Look at all the houses. Look at all the barns. He said, I had every every bit of that. And he said, here's the deal. I found it was meaningless. How much do you have to have? How much land do you have to own? How many servants and slaves do you have to have? He said this in Ecclesiastes 2, I am our silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired women and men singers and a harem as well as the delights of the heart. He said, I even, not only had slaves, but he said, I had bands. I had a rock band. I had a country western band. I had a symphony orchestra. He said, I had a pop band. I had a 50s band. He said, I had everything. I would call them up and say, come on over. Didn't make any difference what time or day or night, and they showed up and they played. He said, I had all of that. Then he said, here's what I need, more women. Sir, your answer is not more women. How many of you men have finally come to the conclusion that you have mastered your wife? How many of you women would raise your hand and say, he keeps trying to master, but it ain't going to happen. Raise your hand. Oh, I know a few of you. You see, here's what I figured out. And I'm from Eagle Lake, Florida. Here's what I know. If you can't master one woman, if you, can't win, if you don't know what she's thinking most of the time, and you don't, your woman still has more surprises tucked away in the confines of her brain than what will ever be revealed to you during your natural life, knowing that she's going to outlive you by at least five to ten years. Do you think for one moment, if you can't know what she's thinking, how in the world are you going to take a whole harem and think you're going to be happy? Hello? But old Solomon said, hey, I tried it. It didn't work. I tried academia. I tried material possessions. I tried wine. I tried bands. I tried music. I tried all of that. And at the end of the day, I, it was meaningless. What kind of employee would Solomon be if he were to Saying he wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said, I wake up every single day. And the reality when I wake up, he said, I'm not happy. I'm not content with anything. I hate my work and I hate my life. How long would you keep old Solomon boy working in your organization if you know he hates his job working with you? How long would you keep him? You know, Mike Ryan's a, he's a great guy with lots of compassion, but even him, he, even he, I don't think he'd keep him past a month. I hate my job. I hate my boss. Well, listen, if that's you, you change.
Hello? You change. That's a heart problem. Solomon got the 360 study and degree and evaluation 360. His part of it, I hate my job, I hate myself, I hate my work. Everything is meaningless. Waking up every day saying, wow. Unbelievable. But that was it. You see, we just need one more. One more. We had, uh, you say, all right, here's, here's what I need. I need, I got more, now I can have some more. He said, when I surveyed everything that my hands had done, what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was like chasing after the wind. Enough is never enough. Who's the comedian that was, uh, he was a talk show host at the, every night late, late night, uh, uh, had a bunch of cars. Oh, it's Jay Leno. Is that it? Jay Leno. He's got, I don't know how many cars, motorcycles. You know, if you were to ask him, how can you have so many cars? Can we have so many motorcycles? You know what I believe his answer would be? Because I can. Because I can. Well, let me ask you this question. How much is ever enough for any of us? What does it take to finally bring us contentment? Here's the most miserable person in the world. A person who's half-heartedly serving God. A person who says, I'm committed, but they're not. A person who says, Monday through Friday, I'm committed. But after Friday, going into Monday, I'm not. You know, a person that's miserable is an individual that makes commitments to God in the church, and then they don't follow through. That person is, hey, I, I know, and you give off that godly life, but you don't do devotions, you don't pray, uh, you, don't, you don't engage in service for anyone. That person is miserable. That person cannot be fulfilled because that's what the Bible says. And Solomon said, hey, I try to fill up my life. I try to fill up my life and make it work. Bill Gates, when Bill Gates started the Gates Foundation, someone asked him in an interview, he said, uh, Mr. Gates, you're starting the Gates Foundation. What are you going to do? He said, well, um, he said, I want to feed the poor. I want to meet needs, medical needs. I want to bring some cure to some diseases, etc." See, Bill Gates right now, his net worth is uh, between 91 and $100 billion dollars. Right now, 91 to $100 billion. And the individual said, it looks like you're going from wealth building to wealth distribution. Why is that? And Bill Gates said, I woke up one night and I couldn't sleep. And he said, I thought about, I can amass another five or 10 billion. And the rate of growth in my business organizations, that's no problem. I don't even have to get out of bed to do that. But it's like, how much is enough? So he said, I thought about establishing the Gates Foundation that I could funnel money into, and I could meet the needs of the poor. I could help with, try to find a new cure for cancer, water wells for those who have no water, better living facilities, some throughout, throughout the world. I could do that. And he said, as a result of that, he said, I, I feel better now about that. Well, what about you and me? You said, I'll never have 91 billion. Well, you're never going to have a billion either for most of us. But the reality is this. The reality is this. 
2,400 years ago, Solomon said, I had it all. And he said, I want you to learn from me. He said, in all of that, not finding and allowing God to be God, he said it was a meaningless life. Bill Gates thought, now I can feel satisfied because I'm helping someone else. And let me say this about that. You can be Bill Gates. There's only one. And you can give away billions. But if you've not asked Jesus into your heart, it doesn't matter how much you give away. If he is not Lord. He has to be Lord. Otherwise, it's chasing the wind. So the Apostle Paul steps forward in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. He's talking to us. And not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything that we enjoy. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean I have to be flat, broke, and poor. I don't believe that. Being a Christian doesn't mean you can't have fun. Look at me. I have more fun than anybody I know. And the fun's not there. I make my own fun. You, You understand what I'm saying? You just learn to do that. Have fun. Go down, to, go down to Walmart and walk around. You'll have fun. You don't have to be bored sitting in front of a Hallmark movie waiting for them that 30 minutes before the crazy thing ends, the breakup, five minutes before it ends, they have the kiss and the makeup. Just the way it is. Get it down. Look at the first few minutes of a Hallmark movie. You got the gist of what it is. Go on and do what you need to do. Come back 30 minutes before it goes off, and you see the whole movie right there. Slam, bam, and that's it. Just telling you. The guy that you see to begin with is going to be the guy that gets the girl. I'm just helping you now. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to pay extra for that. It's just the way it is. So we look at that and say, how can that be? Being a Christian, say, have a good time. Have a wonderful time. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. And material things, you can enjoy life. You should. You ought to have wonderful things in your life and, and be blessed as a result of that. And we know that. But we know that nothing is more important than having Jesus at the center of who you are. You having marriage problems? You having great marriage difficulties? Take it to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Trust him. Let me just tell you something. It'll make a better person out of you. Ecclesiastes 2.17. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. I didn't want to go into work. I didn't want to clock into work. I didn't want to see a boss man. I didn't want to be a part of work. I didn't want to go to lunch with anybody. All of it is meaning. I added a few words. All of it is meaningless like chasing after the wind. That's it. That's it. So he said, well, unbelievable. Had a true testimony from a friend. His dad was a wealthy man. He came from the Netherlands uh, when he was a young man in his uh, late 20s. He said, that was my granddad. He said, my granddad built a business in Michigan and was a manufacturing business and did well. He said, my granddad, after establishing it, died and left the business to, to my dad and his brothers. 
He said, my dad and his brothers worked and worked and worked. Work was the number one goal. Work is what we do. There was no fun. We had all these assets. We had all, the, all this opportunity for money, all this opportunity for a great nest, but it's work. He said, my dad and his brothers all had massive heart attacks. He said, the business would have been left to me. But he said, God called me into ministry. And what a ministry, a great ministry he has. He said, but not long ago, he said, I drove back to the city where my granddad started his business. And I drove up, and there's nothing there but an empty parking lot. All the sound of the machinery, all the barns and sheds and offices that were there, they were not there. He said, when my dad and his brother sold, they sold to a company from overseas. That company bought it, and then eventually, in a matter of a couple of years, decided to do away with that company and just bulldozed it down. He said, I sat there behind the chain link fence, and I looked. Wow, my granddad gave his life for that. My dad and his brothers lived well, but at the end of the day, there's nothing out there but an empty parking lot. And he said, then it dawned on me. The legacy that I have because I obey God and have built a ministry and thousands of people that are part of that ministry is because God rescued me from my own destruction. I was a natural to take over. But he said, when I look at that, the reality is it's not there. Solomon says, I got to that place. I worked and I toiled and I did all of that. And the end of the day, when I looked, there was nothing wasn't there. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, when I die, I know that it's going to go to people who didn't earn it, who didn't work for it, who don't appreciate it, and they take it all for granted. Isn't that unbelievable? They take it all for granted. Solomon said, if you pin your hope on your assets, pin your hope on things that can be destroyed, you're going to miss it. He says, Ecclesiastes 12, but now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Amen. He said, so at the end of the day, when you feel like you've been let down, there's somebody there that will pick you up. At the end of the day, when you have a broken heart, he said, there'll be somebody to pick you up. My first church was First Assembly in Bradenton. You know that. We came through the celebration, and we went back over there to videotape. I couldn't even get in to the facility. Couldn't get it even on the property. It's a chain-link fence, big old locks on the door. I'd stand on the outside of the fence and look in. Saw the same building that was there uh, maybe 50 years ago. Not improved any. Still sitting there. It's a kind of a camp, a church, a Spanish church now, and, and they had the chain link around so you could get pretty high, maybe eight, ten feet. You couldn't get over. I could have gotten over. <laughs> I found a place, but there were people with me. And I thought they may have German shepherds guarding. And so I didn't. But I looked at that and I thought, wow, I spent three years here trying to tear the fences down. I spent three years here trying to get people to come in, and we did. People did come in. 
people later that I preached their funeral years and years later to keep that church open. I walked away feeling kind of depressed, thinking, wow, it's unbelievable. Because I gave part of my heart. Sharon and I gave a part of our life to that. But then I reminded there were people saved, people's lives who were transformed that were eternal. And even though I look at that building and I can't get to it, the souls that were saved made an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. You see, I have been beside people who, in their last, breathing their last breath, and uh, life is ending for them. I've never had one of them say, you know, somebody go to the house. I won a trophy in baseball 27 years ago. Go get it and bring it in here. And uh, never had one say, you know, I've got a little money, a mask, go down and get me a, a briefcase full of $100 bills and bring it and set it on a little table at the hospital bed. I've not had one say, FaceTime my house. Somebody looks so I can just look and see. Well, I worked hard for that house. There it is. So get my car, clean it up, set it here by the window. Because in your last and dying day, you're going to be on your back at a hospital bed, most. You're going to be hooked up to a few tubes until the family decides no more. And at the end of the day, here's what I found. That the thing that people want to know most is this. To have good relationship in my family. And is everything okay with my maker? Am I going to heaven? One man who was flat of his back for a hundred, a hundred days, near death, numerous times, was very, very wealthy, had made other people money to the degree they became millionaires. And when God miraculously healed him and he was out of the hospital recovering, and he's going to make it now, God gave him a miracle. He told his pastor, he said, you know, during that hundred days that I was in the hospital, he said, not one of those individuals that I made them lots and lots of money and they became millionaires, not one of them came to see me when I was flat on my back. And then he began to weep. And he said, I learned some things. He said, in order to have my business and make them millionaires, I neglected some of the things that I shouldn't have neglected. I neglected my church. I had to travel a lot. I neglected God. I just took him for granted. He said, I neglected my family. I missed a lot of ball games. He said, so not all my family came during that 100-day stay. Many of them did. But he says, as I look back on it now, I can sure tell you I would have done differently. Solomon said, hey, it's like chasing the wind. It's meaningless until you come to grips with it. There are two things that I know that people hang on to. It's okay. How did I do with my family relationship? And how did I do in my relationship with, in fact, Jesus Christ? So here I am. I had one individual that I'm thinking of right now. 
that in his dying wish, because here it is, you're going to be hospital, you're going to hooked up, you're going to be in a convalescent center or whatever the case. But there is another option. Sometimes you're at home, hospice care. This individual I won to Jesus. He called, family called and said he's near death. And you come and I went. His was a big old hand. Before he got saved, he was a brawler. He was a brawler. He, uh, he drank. He gambled. He loved to gamble. Loved to have party time. Loved to have fun. Had motor home and homes that went with it. And they called me over and uh, I was there. And uh, friends, his church friends, none of his bar friends, his church friends were there. He said, Pastor, you think, you think you could sing one of the songs, I know I don't have long, that you sang at church? He said, you think you could sing one of those? I said, sure. In the presence of Jehovah, he closed his eyes. Think, wow. I feel Jesus. He was there all the time. Amazing grace. What mattered was this. At the end of his day, his wealth was still there. What he wanted most is not another trophy. He played ball, college ball, big-time player. But what he wanted most is the contentment that only came through it late in his life, a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So success, when you begin to look at everything at the end of the day, you young couples that are building it, build, build, build. But don't do it at the expense of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, don't let your kid know more about baseball, football, soccer than they know about what the Bible says. Don't, don't let opportunities that you can afford to do believe that that's your ticket to become sporadic in your commitment to God and His church. Because at the end of the day, here's what you're going to want to know. God, did I do everything that I could to bring pleasure to you? Did I do those things that I prioritized? I know of individuals, many, before in their lives, that individuals and some of the little teams that were played, they knew my kid won't be there Wednesday night. He's going to be in youth. and going to be in Rangers. going to be in Missionettes because that's our church night. And the coaches understood that. The kid didn't understand it. But today, it's a different story. Amen. Solomon says, take it from me. Take it from me. Live your life in a way that you bring him pleasure Amen. and honor him. Would you stand? Let's give the Lord a clap offering, would you?
So Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your abundant grace and your abundant mercy. We thank you because you are Lord. God, you're not going to elbow your way into our family. You're not going to put a stranglehold on us and say, make room for me. You're not going to make us so sick or face such tragedy just to say, I want your attention. You're a loving God. And what you have done, you did it once. You redeemed us and you gave us purpose and you gave us privilege. And most of us stand here this morning with more privilege and more opportunity than we deserve. But God, it's so easy for that carnal nature to say, I need one more car, need one more house, need more barns, need more wine, need more education. All of that's all the education. I need more. But not at the expense of say, Jesus, fill me up with your love and your power. God, I pray in the name of the Lord for those that are here right now. Right now, you know who they are. You knew they would be here this day. And you know how they're living. You know exactly their commitment to you. And you know that it is lacking. But today, you are pricking their heart and their spirit. And you are saying to them through the preaching of this word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, respond. Don't give a deaf ear to God again. Open your arms and receive him. And then let him be the priority. So just in case, those of you that are listening and those of you that are hearing the sound of my voice, would you repeat this prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness. I am sorry. I have made mistakes. I have made a mess. I haven't paid attention. But today, you have my heart. Please forgive me. Create in me a pure heart and a pure mind. I put the past in the past and allow it to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I move forward in your grace and in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You believe God answered prayer? Come on. You prayed that prayer. I can tell you, pay attention to Jesus. You can check your humility level now. If you know God spoke to you and you felt you prayed that prayer, and you meant it with everything that's in, how humble are you going to be if God says, come down and give me some praise. Come down and present yourself to me. Don't be ashamed. Let me know you mean business. Stand up for me. Honor me. Love me. Let it be so. You need healing in your body? Right now, come. Jesus will bring healing to you. You have a financial need? Before I give the benediction, I'm going to ask you to come. You come as we sing. Would you do that right now, everybody? Here we go. Give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away, oh Jesus. I give myself away so you.
one more moment while I'm praying in the benediction. If you feel led of the Holy Spirit, matter of fact, if you're wrestling, you should be here. If you're wrestling in your heart, there's nobody to wrestle with if you're humble and being obedient. But if you are wrestling, that's the enemy trying to take control. It's time you put him in his place. Send him right back where he came from. So here we go. Father, in your name, I pray for this entire congregation, those watching online, those that are here now. I pray as we submit this message of success to you. Solomon said, hey, I lived it. I've gone through it. I'm just telling everybody there is nothing in this world that's going to bring the kind of satisfaction except we fear the Lord. We fear God. We put him in his rightful place. We give him the place of presence. He is first. He is number one. It's not a, not a multiple choice. He is number one. So God, do what only you can do. And we'll give you praise, touch and bless. And then Lord, let the endowment of your Holy Spirit reign in this room tonight. God has children and little babies and moms and dads and grandmas and granddads and school officials and, and leaders. God, in your name, do something unbelievable. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Love you, everybody. God bless you.